This is The New Way We Work from Fast Company Magazine, where we take listeners on a journey through the changing landscape of our work lives and explain exactly what we need to build the future we want. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor Kate Davis. Before we get to today's episode, I wanted to take a moment to thank all of our listeners for their continued support of this podcast. Whether you've been listening for just one episode or for a month or since the very beginning, way back in 2018, I really appreciate it. And to show that, I'd like to start recognizing our listeners. If you tweet out a link to your favorite episode with the hashtag NewWayWeWork, we'll give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. Now, on to today's episode. Thousands of companies, both big and small, are contemplating what their return to the office may look like, and there are a few problems that stick out to many of us as the most difficult to solve. How do you create or maintain a company culture when you're remote or hybrid, and how can employees collaborate together if they're not all physically in the same space? Joining me to help answer these questions is Natalie Nixon. Natalie is the president of Figure Eight Thinking, author of Creativity Leap, Unleash Curiosity, Improvisation, and Intuition at Work, and a contributor to Fast Company. Natalie, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Kate. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So one of the drawbacks to remote or hybrid work that gets mentioned the most is the so-called lack of water cooler moments, those serendipitous casual conversations that allegedly happened and allegedly sparked creative ideas. So first, is this something that was actually happening a lot in offices pre-pandemic? And second, is there a way to recreate these kind of casual conversations in a virtual setting? Well, I actually love that you you said alleged. (laughs) (laughs) I've worked in offices for a very long time and I've been promised all of these serendipitous creativity moments and I I didn't see a lot of them. So yeah, was this happening? You know, I think that's totally fair. I think, you know, we would surreptitiously uh, head to the water fountain and fill up our big gallon-sized container of water and sip during the day. I don't know that we necessarily were particularly social. I mean, we even saw that on on commutes into work. People were kind of heads down or uh, earbuds in. So I think that's a fair point. And so there might be a bit of of romanticized nostalgia going on in terms of how we're thinking about the past. But I always like to give the example of a company that actually did attempt to intentionally design these serendipitous water cooler moments that I'm thinking of Pixar. It's not so new anymore, but I believe it's the still currently used Pixar uh, corporate headquarters building. Um, The architects intentionally designed the space so that there was not a bathroom on every floor or a water fountain area on every floor, but they were kind of more centrally located. You had to walk or take the elevator to those spaces so that you were more likely to bump into people and have those hallway moments and have those uh, kind of short, brief conversations that would spark an idea. So I think that's an indicator that even pre-pandemic, we still needed to be intentional about the design of our workspaces to spark that sort of of those, those happy accidents. But I do think this nostalgia, even if it is nostalgia, is, is pointing to everything is pretty scheduled right now when we are seeing people other than our folks within our immediate circle. And so the lack of spontaneity definitely is poignant. And as you're talking about it, I'm thinking about like what office life was like pre-pandemic. 
I certainly did socialize with people when I'd run into them. I don't know about the, if it sparked any creative ideas. You you make a really great point about people having their, their headphones on and their heads down. And we covered this a lot, right? Like people hated open offices and open offices were designed for these, you know, overheard moments and these collaboration moments and everything. And, and what it really ended up being was people tried to block out the distraction and create their own little bubble to work in. Now, as you say, everything is so scheduled. We don't have those opportunities for even the socialization of running into somebody in the kitchen, let alone any kind of collaboration or casual conversation. Is there a way to recreate that virtually, like to recreate just kind of bumping into somebody and and having a casual conversation? Yes, I, I think there are. And I do also just what some part of what you were setting up there, it just in terms of your comments about how the open plan design in office space was a bit of a bomb. And I think that's because people ultimately crave privacy. We like to have our own little space. And it's interesting, right? If you walked through a more traditionally corporately designed space with tons of cubicles, people would really claim that space and really mm-hmm. try to designate it with a bit of their own personality and, and meaning and what mattered to them. So, so I, 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 I just, I just thought that was a really great observation. So, yeah, I do think there are ways that we can still design in that spontaneity and that serendipity. And one of the things I, I often like to, to remind people is that creativity actually loves constraints. Creativity does not come about because you get to do whatever you want and it's just nice free for all. It's actually in those times and in those moments, we have constraints on the most precious of resources, time, money, and people talent, that we are the most creative. There is this bottleneck effect that requires all of the juicy good ideas to kind of coalesce and marinate, and then um, in their own time and ways they emerge. So I think that even let's look at the constraint of um, a digital interface in Zoom or Teams or whatever the interface is that people are using, there are ways to build in that spontaneity. So for example, there are the breakout rooms. And, and if, we're look, if we're talking about Zoom specifically, there are ways to make, to randomize that assortment. And so that's one way to create spontaneity. There are, you can also anchor spontaneity in a call, in a meeting. So you can start it with um, a very kind of playful question that no one is necessarily expecting, does not have anything to do with the work at hand. So for example, a question that I've really become fond of, of asking at the start of meetings is for people to share just over two minutes and a quick breakout, you know, no more than three people in the breakout, because that way we can make sure everyone gets a chance to share and be heard. Share the very first thing you ever spent your own money on. First of all, it's like, wait a second, what was that thing I spent my own money on? And then it's, and then it, it just reveals so much about people's work ethic as like an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old. It reveals a bit of people's personality. It, 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 it sparks giggles and you just get to know one another. And it just starts to deflate any kind of anxiety or tension there may have been in the room in the virtual room before people showed up to the meeting. And and by the way, the first thing I risked my own money on was the Donna Summer uh, cassette tape because I loved Donna Summer. And I would play that cassette tape over and over again, write down the lyrics. 
but yeah, it just, it says a little bit more about who we are. So anchoring again, so it's designed, that's a constraint. Um, there's a time limit, but we don't know what the question is going to be. We don't know what the responses are that we're going to get from people. And again, it can be semi-personal, depends on, on your work culture of how comfortable people are with that. But it also can be an interesting what if question. I think the key here that I'm, I'm getting to is the role of curiosity and inquiry, the role of asking new and different questions to try to spark that spontaneity. That's so great. And I'm thinking, you know, as you're talking, we've done a little bit of this in the past 18 plus months at Fast Company, and we probably haven't done enough of it. And the times that we've done it, I've really enjoyed it. And we've done both kind of versions that you're talking about. One, the small breakout room, I think, is is really key because we'll have even, you know, even though we're not a big company, we'll have a meeting with 50 people or 25 people or even 10 people. And that's too much for, you know, if you're a little shyer, you're not going to talk. There's always those three people. I'm probably one of them who like does the most of the talking and, you know, one idea gets the most attention. And, but when these small breakout rooms, everybody gets a chance to talk, especially when you give a, a question that's kind of a great equalizer. Like you can, you know, I think we did one once in a big town hall meeting, which was what was uh, the first concert you ever went to. And everybody has a, con a first concert. And that tells so much about where you're from or, you know, sometimes your age, um, you know, <laughs> like what you're interested in. But like the editor in chief can talk to the, you know, assistant editor and they the kind of the like, hierarchy and walls are broken down a little bit. That's a great, like, kind of icebreaker. Um, I, think I love that. Yeah, I think it's really great for um, brainstorming, too, because, as I said, like, you know, people get to kind of talk more. I wonder, um, as a manager, if you're, you know, and your workplace is going to be fully remote, aside from, you know, kind of maybe setting up these breakout rooms once in a while in, in meetings, how do you kind of refigure your office for a virtual collaboration? You do you mean the, the high touch in person office or you mean you're at home office? So if you're a manager, yeah, and your workforce is going to like continue to be fully remote, you know, how should you think about this in, in like a long term setting? I think that it is, first of all, good to think about this in a long term setting. I think that we're not going back to the old normal and the next normal will be full of people really welcoming the options and the choice to be able to work from home and work from um, work work in the office. I, I was talking to um, a colleague and friend who's working on an interesting project, and she was sharing that um, one of the directions we're, we're, we're headed towards is where, and I think we're all seeing it, where being in touch becomes premium, right? Where being in the office becomes a perk. And so rather than fight against that and struggle against it, the, the first step in, in all things challenging is accepting uh, that, that this is the next normal. Um, but also ceding control a bit as a manager, not feeling that you have to be the one to always come up with the groovy, interesting, provocative, as my friend Sunny Brown calls it, fire starter questions. She likes to call them fire starter questions, not versus um, icebreakers, which I really love. They're, they can be really energizing, but really starting to figure out ways to democratize the leadership in meetings and and seeding that control as manager of having to be the one who always sets the agenda, who always starts off the call, who really invites people who are younger, who are less senior, who are less tenured, who might be new to the company, but have incredible experience in the industry at different organizations at different companies. So I think that 
we can think about this as an opportunity on what we can call the space-time continuum and reconfigure who gets to take up that space, who we invite to ask the questions. And in that way, I've seen already in, in my advisory work that there are a lot of interesting surprises about how people begin to show up to work differently. Because at the end of the day, whether you're talking about an overcrowded classroom or a humongous corporation, people are motivated by feeling seen and heard, by being perceived to be seen and heard. And that just becomes the catalyst for much more productive ways that people show up and engage. That's so important and that people need to feel seen and heard. And I think, as you say, that could definitely have happened pre-pandemic. You know, you're in a big conference room as opposed to a big Zoom call and you probably didn't speak up and you probably didn't feel seen and heard. And and that kind of gets to the other part that you mentioned, the hybrid workforce, which is, you know, what a lot of companies are probably moving towards, if, if not there already, where some people are in the office and some people are remote. How does that raise different challenges for collaboration and to make sure that people who aren't physically present don't get left out of those serendipitous moments if they are happening in person or even if it is a, a meeting? You know, how do you configure that? How do you make sure that that works? Maybe it, it's it's obvious and, and it's seemingly simple, but to ask people, what would you share an example of a serendipitous moment you have? And it doesn't have to be at the meeting, especially when we are mindful of the different personalities that people have and the different comfort levels that people have. So it may be an invitation in advance of a meeting for people to share, and it can be anonymous. Um, we can figure that out. There's all sorts of apps and, and platforms we can use to make to anonymize responses. And it can be, you know, direct a direct email, but to ask people in advance to share. And sometimes that can be the subject of the meeting, that can be the start of the meeting. I think it's also could be interesting to try to, I mean, we don't, none of us needs another meeting, but if even if we replace one of our serious agenda-based meetings with calls that are about the um, more the human side of how we're doing and, and do, doing those check-ins. I, I, I'm observing that people really appreciate being able to share. The truth is the boundaries are becoming really blurred between work and home, home and learning, learning and play, play and work. And rather than resist that, let's embrace that we're getting a peek into people's homes, um, their parenting, their spouses, and let's invite the human into work. And in fact, even if we move into a work norm where we are a lot more days in the office, maybe four days out of the five-day work week or three days out of the five-day work week, the reality is that the fourth industrial revolution is real. The train has left the station. And so technology is ubiquitous. And there's a lot more tech that is taking up and replacing uh, a lot of task-based work. There's a lot of casualties in the fourth industrial revolution, which is requiring more upskilling and reskilling. And the opportunity is for us to make more room for what humans are capable of that machines, AI, uh, robotics cannot do. And creativity is one of the supreme ways that we can we can show up in the office. So so really inviting people 
to share that more interpersonal dimension of themselves, again, leads to that reality of, of feeling seen and heard, which will lead to greater productivity. And the answer to this, you know, doesn't have to be that there that there is an answer. Like maybe there are some drawbacks and some casualties in, in the hybrid workplace. But I'm I'm wondering in a hybrid workplace, you know, say you have you've designed it so the meeting itself works pretty well for people who are some people are there in person and some people are remote. Is there a way to make that the people who are remote don't miss out on what happens after the meeting? Because I think we've all had that experience of like the meeting ends and you're you're walking out of the conference room and you're just like, oh, that was such a great idea. And you start like talking to the person next to you and having that casual conversation on the way back to your desk. And that remote person now has logged off. They're not part of it. Is there a way to to have the remote people not miss out on what happens in the in-between time, in those water cooler moments, in those walking to the desk and bathroom moments? Well, maybe what, what I mean, I don't know the answer to your question, but maybe perhaps it requires that we formalize what has been an informal occurrence, which is the meeting before the meeting, mm-hmm. meeting after the meeting, mm-hmm. which which has been happening anyway. And we are sensitive to people who cannot always be there in person, who might not be there in person until the next quarterly all hands or the annual retreat or conference. And so what if you design in some sort of, I mean, this sounds corny, the word buddy system, but you know, whatever your company culture's version of a buddy system is that kind of just demonstrates compassionate partnership that you want to bring everyone along and that it actually provides an opportunity for people to get to know each other. Um, And it may be over a virtual coffee uh, where you just have a chat about something that occurred to you after the meeting because you were there in person and you got to walk down the corridor or in the elevator to your desk on the way, you know, on the way back to work, but really being intentional and formalizing ways to still connect people instead of ignoring that and saying, oh, well, you weren't there, but really inviting people um, to do that. And here's another thing I will say about all of these ideas about inviting people to have these more dynamic interpersonal connections we're all motivated by different things, but we do tend to respond to things where we're incentivized. So what if your organization incentivized people to make those interpersonal connections because it became part of your performance review? What if uh, you got additional time or a little bit more budget to dream up an interesting XYZ to allow this to happen, right? So rather than just leaving it up to chance, Let's design in, let's budget in through time and money and resources, ways for people to connect in this interpersonal way to build bridges with those with whom um, they don't get to see in person all the time. Yeah, that's a great addition of incentivizing it. I feel like a lot of times people are like, oh, you're asking me to do an extra thing and that's nice. And sure, maybe I'll think about it sometime. But if it's part of your job, if it's literally you know, at your six month review, it's, you know, how did you collaborate? How did you include people? You know, you have some accountability for it. And I like that, you know, it does, it is kind of like, you know, we're in in school again, but the buddy system makes sense. You know, if you're like, oh, Kate's the remote person, that's my buddy. I'm the in-office person. I'm going to make sure to 
check in with her and like clue her into those conversations that she missed out on. You know, you, you have your assignment. Yeah. Right. That's your assignment. You're incentivized to do it. You'll be rewarded for it. Maybe there's a share out later at the time when everyone can come together. And what might be ways that that folks who are working more remote might add value to people who do have to build an extra time in the day to make the commute to work and make the commute home? And how might we make it a two-way street? So how might the person who is working remotely add value in the day and the insights for people who um, are in the office? Yeah. And, you know, speaking of that, and when we're talking about, you know, these breakout rooms and the ways to kind of add more personal connection when you're you know, when you're not with somebody. I'm wondering if, if there's any methods for idea generation itself or brainstorming itself that work best in a remote or hybrid or even in person, because I know brainstorming in general is a little bit broken when we're like, okay, everybody, let's think of some big ideas, you know, like, is there like <laughs> crickets? It's always crickets. Yes. Like what, what's a way to like get the ball rolling on those things? I have some thoughts because I have done my fair share of facilitation and what I've learned along the way, I'm going back to a, a statement I made earlier, which is that creativity loves constraints. You are setting yourself up for failure when you do start a brainstorming ideation session in that way, where there's one person in the head of uh, the head of a room who has the marker at the whiteboard says, "Okay, everybody, give me give me your give me your your greatest ideas on you know actually hopefully there is a prompt." So so step number one is provide a prompt. That that prompt that framing question becomes a constraint. Step number two, I, I really recommend quiet storming as a way to lead into brainstorming. And quiet storming slash question storming. So let's let's talk first about quiet storming as one I did, then I'll go to question storming. But quiet storming is we have the prompt. And rather than the, the person who is at the head of the room be the repository of a collector of all the ideas and gets to pick on people who are brave enough or extroverted enough to raise their hand, you have the question, you set a timer for, I don't know, two minutes, three minutes, what, whatever the, the question, how much time the question needs. People are given a piece of paper, a pen, and quietly to themselves, they jot down their thoughts. And the timer goes off. And you don't yet share out to a large group. You turn to the person you're sitting next to and you have a quiet conversation, maybe for five minutes now. You expand the amount of time and you share out each person, each of you thought about that question. And then you share out uh, with a larger group and, and, and maybe it's our greatest hits, best of between what we thought of. Now, I was a professor for 16 years. Um, I worked in the fashion industry. And before I worked in the fashion industry, there's a chapter of my life where I was a middle school English teacher. So I have quite a, a bit of pedagogical uh, tips and tricks up my sleeve. But what this is in pedagogy is called think, pair, share, right? So the think is the solo quiet to myself being able to collect my thoughts. The pairs when you're sharing off of one-on-one -on -one, and then um, the shares out to the larger group. So that is one technique I use all the time and I find it to be highly successful because the bossy pants and extroverts in the room, I'm raising my hand because I tend to be that person. <laughs> same, same. Right? Do not dominate. Do not get to dominate. It really begins to democratize the process. And let's go back to what we said before. Everyone really does feel a bit more seen and heard because I have been there when I am in the, the other type of brainstorming sessions. And 
I recognize that feeling of, mm, they didn't pick my idea. Yeah, my idea didn't go on the wall. Mm-hmm. Or, ooh, there's more ticks to the, next to the idea that, that I thought of. And maybe that will still happen, but the spotlight isn't on you. The spotlight is about what we as a group generated. And then the other um, technique I would recommend is question storming. So it can still be in this kind of quiet mode. A uh, question storming is rather than the prompt be solutions and answers, maybe the prompt is the thing, the challenge that we're looking at. And then to ask people to provide a series of questions. Now, there's also a structure that we can follow for that. And I, I borrowed this structure from um, Warren Berger, who is a questionologist. He is the author of A More Beautiful Question and the Book of Beautiful Questions. I've had a professional crush on him for a long time, and he's aware, and my husband's aware. <laughs> I like the way he has set out a, a heuristic, a template that he learned really from companies that he was curious about who always seemed to be so great at innovating. He visited them, researched them, interviewed them, and learned that their leaders lead with questions, lead with inquiry, but not just any old questions. They tend to first ask very divergent questions. They ask why, and then they ask what if, and then they begin to converge and ask how. So if you choose to do a question storming sort of exercise, rather than say, okay, our problem is um, better market share, ask some questions, you might want to provide that structure of really germinating about why, 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 why. Set a timer on that, move on to what if, what if, what if, and then next timer um, to how. And so you notice in all these examples and techniques I'm I'm sharing, um, there are constraints, right? There are constraints on time. There are constraints on in terms of, of prompts that are given. And there are constraints in terms of like, you know, who gets to share and who gets to share when. So again, the best, effervescence of creativity actually tends not to happen when we assume that it should just be a free-for-all. The best effervescence of creativity happens when when we do introduce those sorts of barriers to entry and constraints. It becomes a much more exciting challenge. Yeah, those are great tips. I want to put those into action. I can see those really working really well. That's that's fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. So we've talked a lot so far, mostly about collaboration and creativity. But the other part that seems really challenging to recreate in either a remote or a hybrid world is company culture. And we've we've kind of touched on a couple of those things already with talking about how to like build the personal connections. But I'm wondering if you have any ideas about how a company can either maintain their company culture that they had when they were all in person or improve it or, you know, start a company culture, create a company culture from scratch if you're not in the same place. I actually think that times such as these are opportunities to do company culture audits Mm -hmm. and to pause and to not assume that our company culture has been great or great for everyone. Let's first just like diagnose what is culture. I studied cultural anthropology. I use anthropology every single day in my work. I'm a qualitative researcher. And I think about culture as in the basis of terms what people say about you when you're not around. That, that's culture, right? Culture change starts with shifts in mindset, which leads to shifts in behaviors, which leads to culture change. But it starts with really getting deep into how do we think about stuff? What's our worldview? 
what's the language that we tend to use? Are we a culture full of acronyms so that we become laden down with like this mysterious veil that like a newcomer that's like like so what is what exactly does the is the XYZ thing that leads to the ABC and and then people over time you forget themselves, right? So what's the language we tend to use? Because language is a big indicator of our mental model. Our, do we have mental models that are about clarity, simplicity? Does our language reveal like steep hierarchy? Right. So language is, is a really amazing indicator of culture. It's a great place to start as a diagnosis. Artifacts, right? So all company cultures have certain artifacts that are lying around. Um, the things that we don't touch, the things that have been on the wall forever, the things that our logos are, you know, all those sorts of visual cues and indicators. The way we can dress is showing up to work. These are all examples of, of artifacts. And we also have superstitions. We don't even know that they are superstitions sometimes, but um, we dare not do it a different way because we've been doing it this way for so long and it always seems to end well. So I think these are great times to do audits of our culture, to do audits about our mental model, about why do we think the way we think about X, Y, Z. So doing a lot of this metacognitive work about this is the way I think about X, Y, Z because of blah, 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 right? And where does that come from? Um, and it also is an opportunity to, to really honor legacy because don't assume that people understand back in the day when, when the company was this scrappy startup. I mean, most companies did, their origin story is this scrappy startup. And we forget that sometimes. And sometimes it's really helpful to tap into that for renewal and for a refresh. Um, so it doesn't mean that you have to do a radical change. You might not want to change at all. You might want to do a very tiny pivot, five degree incremental change, and still the cascading effects of that could be huge. Yeah. And is there a way to, you know, like, as you're saying, like a lot of the history, you know, and the kind of entrenched ways that you get when you're onboarding somebody new, especially now, I think a lot of companies are expanding their hiring range. You know, they're saying we can be remote so we can hire people in totally different locations. How do you onboard somebody into a company culture that's maybe entrenched and that is fully remote? How do you make somebody get comfortable in and understand who you are? Um, I do think it takes time. So I think that's one given that we don't always allow for. Um, so things that are that, that become normalized for us because we've been there for two, three, eight, nine, 21 years are not so normal and easy to adopt for others. Um, I think we have to be open to their questions and we have to invite their questions because their questions reveal these misses, these blind spots that, that we may have had. And it also is an indicator to the new person about your culture <laughs> that you're open to questions. Uh, that buddy system is it can be super important in, in this case. And also the ability to rotate through and to kind of get a peek into different divisions, silos, departments, areas. Keeping in mind that probably when you're doing that rotation, people will have their best game face on and be their greatest hits, etc. Even knowing that, just giving the person the opportunity to kind of get the full 360 is great. And the other thing I would say is whenever possible, if leadership can can visit, go in the opposite direction and go to this new person's. Um, I, I recall hearing from a friend who leads 
His name is Henry Johnson, and he leads, I believe, most of the eastern seaboard of Northern Trust Bank. And last year, um, in the summertime, he went on a road trip and he went and visited different members of his team. And sometimes it was on their front porch. Sometimes it was at a local coffee shop. Sometimes it was in their backyard. But I can only imagine what that messaged to them that and he he lives up north and he went down south and rented a car and, and drove all around. I, I just I just always remember that because I just thought while he might have taken it for granted, I thought it was a phenomenal uh, signal of leadership. So I think the other part of onboarding new folks is not always making the onus of entry being on them, but but what are other ways that that we can go to them, um, not and not just the top leaders, but but other people on the team. I think that speaks. Um, volumes. That's wonderful. Yeah. If you're truly going to walk the walk of being a remote first company or a hybrid company, you can't always put the onus on the people who are remote. That's a great point. Yeah. Natalie Nixon, thank you so much for being here. This was so useful. I think at least from from my perspective, there's several things I'm going to put in practice and I think probably for our, our listeners too. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And that's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to The New Way We Work wherever you listen. If you like this episode, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And we want to hear from you. Do you feel more or less creative working from home? How have you navigated collaborative work without being in the office? Email us at podcast at fastcompany.com or tweet us with the hashtag New Way We Work. The New Way We Work is produced by Joshua Christensen. Joshua Christensen.